Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right. Well, welcome to West Point, Mississippi, everybody. Welcome to the home of Mossy Oak Brand Camo, the Gamekeeper Studio, and well, we've got a, we've got a really interesting one today. And welcome back, Bobby. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. We missed you hey, last y'all week. Y'all carried on in my absence and yeah. did a fine oh, job. I think yep. we did good without him. I don't know. I haven't really listened to it yet. He's the host of a new upcoming television program nationwide called Jesse Goes Hunting. Yeah. <laughs> He's well, got a hell of a guy yeah, in service. Yeah. Let's please not do that. Look, that that's, I was exhausted when that was over with. So. Yeah, so. Well, uh, hey, but you hung in there and got it done. Yeah, sure. We got it done on Saturday the last morning. Sure did. Well, we she had killed, our fingers crossed for you. She killed a pretty turkey. and uh, That was a lot of fun, though, but I appreciate y'all letting They're me be away. They're all pretty, Bobby. Come yeah. on. Yeah. That's one, one, this one really was. We got to see this one fly down. You don't get to do that. Oh, too nice! Long. Yeah, we were really. Well, close. that's because you usually don't even let them fly down, right? <laughs> yeah, get them before they hit the ground. That's the best way to do it. <laughs> oh Lord, let's let's redirect this a little bit. And get this off of me. So, guys, uh, you know, today we've got we got Toxie sitting at the end of the table. That's kind no. of uh, yeah, we're really excited about having Toxie. And thank you for dressing up for us, there, Toxie. You got all dressed up, and that yeah, <laughs> this we, is my Sunday go to meeting t shirt. <laughs> But we've got Dr. Marcus Lashley. There he is. Yes. And, and we've had you on, uh, you've called in a couple of times. Yeah, um, that's right. We've, now we've got you in, but you're from Livingston, which corner. we all have so much of an affection for. Yeah, yeah and you're, grew up. You went to Mississippi State, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. That's correct, yep. Yep. And, he checks uh, all the boxes. So I've got a yeah, question, he's, though. He's from a place that I'm basically from, my home away from home, which I, from Four years old, uh, I spent so much time there. And remind me of something. What's his nickname? Doctor Disturbance. So I'm going to ask you a question, <laughs> and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Did the Doctor Disturbance start prior to your biological career? Uh, maybe at the Brass Monkey or somewhere like that. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> absolutely. I'm just wondering where Doctor Disturbance came yeah. from. If it wasn't, you know. So like he was a DJ at the, at the Brass Monkey. Monkey? No, it was like there were many disturbances there if you were okay. into it. Yeah. I've been a part of a few of them. Uh, <laughs> it's a legendary no. place in Livingston. <laughs> been there forever. Yeah. yeah, it really has. Well, and you're, you're friends with David Holly. I think I hear him speak of you often. No doubt. Yeah, and, we, we uh, keep up quite a bit, especially through social media. Yeah, well, go back and forth. The thing that impresses me the most about you is – 
I hear you. I follow you. And if somebody's on Instagram, they ought to follow you at, at Dr. Disturbance. But you're, you've got a little saying. You're into making turkeys. That's not, right. Not taking turkeys. And I like that. Man, I love that. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Yeah, can we borrow that from no. you? Yeah. I'm going to bow to him and follow his lead. That's a great one. That's, that's how I feel these days. I was talking to a couple when I swung by the co-op to get some puppy feed. And she, the older lady had killed a turkey. She was so proud. And I actually knew who they were out by Lanning's house. He had killed one earlier in the year. And what they were talking about, and I was like, they were talking about everybody was not hearing much at all. And I was like, it's just, they're so precious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I almost hate to shoot one. I know I still love it, but I, I mean, it's different than it used to be. This is your difference. Just having them is so much. I mean, when you go seven mornings in a row and don't even have a hunt, you start to go, you know, it's, I'd rather just have one to hear. Yeah, start appreciating and just hearing one. not worry right. about shooting one. Yes. So, I mean, it's just changed. So that's something you've recently experienced, seven mornings in a row, right? Yeah, this year, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And so earlier you were mentioning that that some turkeys are not on some a place earlier. Well, it was just, you- it was just um, one of our local game wardens who's really, really good and really has a lot of wisdom from being in that all his life and is passionate about this. Was just explaining to me as he keeps up with what's going on, you know, he deer hunts right there on a place we have. It's not real big, but I let him deer hunt and he's got some other property there to deer hunt on. And so he's real familiar with it. And he said there was 11 or 14, I can't remember, adult gobblers there just all winter. And then there's nothing, there was one and I had, no one's been there in a while. He's probably gone, succumbed to some kind of TSS poisoning from someone by now but uh, <laughs> he was just saying a little bitty track that i remember i'm gonna call any names lanny can remember uh guy passed away and it sold a couple of years ago that's a mile or so away maybe and surrounded by wide open and the guy's got just he's killed three or four and got four or five more still gobbling it's like 100 acres you know which for this part now maybe in the midwest but for around here is amazing yeah. mm-hmm. and he just said i just I've walked and been around all these properties and I don't see any turkey sign. It's all concentrated right there. And the only difference I can see, because there's all kind of great nesting habitat, there's nothing on, but there's no hogs over here. It's right across a road and there's just no hogs that they hadn't taken up there yet. Where they they were all winter, the turkeys were on my places in the drainage. And, you know, you would think that'd be the best place, but it's just in the last two years, they've inundated it and completely taken it over. Hmm. And uh, he went in there checking two days ago and said, here's your problem, I'm sure. And there was two fields. I think it was 20 in one and 30 in another one right there by each other. And Pigs. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's not the kind of disturbance that you no. like, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, I've done a little bit of work with pigs, and I don't want to do it anymore. Those things, man, they tear up everything. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't think they're – I think it changes the everything. I'm not – Sure, they can prove they're like eat the nest as much, but I mean, I know they're not leaving any mass food left, and I just don't think they want to be around them. You know, up my other place, I have this all up, you know, it's a couple of miles of that drainage south of there. Y'all are familiar with that. It's void of turkeys, and I'm sure maybe someone picked a few off, but we just don't see them anymore, and it's just completely inundated with hogs. Mm. Well, so I, sad. I think an important point about that they don't have to eat the nest no. to cause some real issues with yes. turkeys yes. and all the competition alone is is uh, problematic especially you know you're coming into the new year you know in, coming into turkey season mast is pretty important still for turkeys and if it's all getting sucked up by pigs yeah that's not good they also carry all these diseases i mean we 
you know, there's all kinds of reasons yep. that uh, they could be a big problem. And I don't know, I'm not sure we can tell on nest predation unless the, the nest completely vaporizes. You might, it could be hogs. Cause I, you know, I could always tell when in the early days, the hogs, when I was scouting for both season, you could tell if deer had been eaten acorns or hogs. Cause if the hogs eat it, the cap and everything is gone, mm-hmm. especially the bigger white oaks. And if it was deer, they split the hull, spit them out, you know, eat the middle. Mm-hmm. So you could tell if there was just a bunch of caps and that's it. They'd fallen from the caps and no acres, no hulls, then it was hogs, you know. So they eat, they just, they take, they eat everything. Well, they sure do have the same hangout in the spring. And, and yes. I can see the hogs being aggravating enough to where the turkeys just decide to adapt and go hang out on an up- upland site. But the pigs typically... They hang tight on those little bottoms and drainages. Mm-hmm. Well, they're digging all that stuff left from the winter out mm-hmm. still. It's still good. Yeah. Even if it's half rotted, they, they'll eat it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's a food thing. It and, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's not trending in a, in a good direction. Well, the one place you know we have a place in Knoxville County we've been leasing for 25 years, and there was a good many turkeys on it, but it had a lot of hogs. It wasn't just great, and then the hogs completely took it over, and I just quit going down there. I mean, you might hear a turkey or two maybe, but it wasn't great. And then I remember, you know, Chris probably had a listing next to it, and the people said, I come there, not turkey hunting down there. And uh, he said, well, there's so many hogs. I mean, he said, well, we heard six or seven over over there. And so I went down there, and that's actually Bandy killed his first turkey with me there. Mm-hmm. And there was a bunch of turkeys on it, and there was no hogs. Something happened. I know they trapped a ton of them on that same place he's yeah, talking he about. Yeah. But – I think some kind of temporary whatever disease or something wrote there because all of a sudden there was no hogs on our place and the turkeys just exploded. And it was the best place I had for probably five or six years, as y'all know. It was so good. And then Did you hogs, know that, Lanny? hogs started coming Sometimes back. Sometimes towards the end of the season. I found <laughs> that. Lanny got to go. Yeah, yeah. He's, standing, and, uh, he's sitting behind you. <laughs> yeah, it was good all the way to the end of the season. And it's, it's, it's okay at best. I mean, but... They not killed a turkey there in three years now. I can't blame a turkey. No, and they're either. aggravating creatures. I, I, don't, I like don't like hanging around aggravating either. stuff. So I don't know the answer, but it's definitely <laughs> a major factor. There's no question about that. has to be. That's man. the second um, in Clay County that I've heard of people typically hunting in bottomland, no turkeys there, and went up on the upland sites, and there was multiple gobblers there. Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's a, and the good thing for some people that maybe not had turkeys before uh, – or having them. Mm-hmm. When I'm out hunting around here, I don't hear any shots anymore, rarely at all, like it used to be constantly. Every morning, a couple of shots. Every, nothing. And more, the shots I hear are back up in the open pasture areas and towards the hills. And that, you know, in fact, the only turkey we've even killed around here was that beautiful thing, Bandy Kill with Neil, was up in the hills. And, you know, there's some more up there. So, in, anyway, not to beat a dead hog, but. Yeah. <laughs> It, yeah. It's a huge biological issue for everything, you know, including other wildlife. Sounds like Onyx needs to add a, a hog area filter layer. Well, it'd be the whole So you can just turn that layer on, and if there's hogs there, go elsewhere. You won't have many places to hunt. So, look, <laughs> that, this kind of is a good lead in. Mike, you've got a commercial for us, don't you? I do. It, it, it's definitely a, a tool to, to alleviate some of your hog problems, the, the ATN corpse scopes. 
Corpse. Oh, yeah. yeah, the thermal scopes. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a pretty good name. Yeah. Well, they. Uh, so we, we've we've tested some here. We've been. It's amazing what you can see, and they're. Oh y'all y'all y'all, y'all, y'all have tested some. Wow. Van, Vandy took two or three, and he said, "I'm gonna give Toxie a couple yeah. of them." So, wow. Toxie. Uh, I talked to Toxie. I don't think he knew about that. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that slipped through. But those thermal scopes are a way that I mean that they're they're. they're Perfect for a guy trying to mm-hmm. hog hunt. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thing. So how how can a guy get more information, Mike? At atncorp.com. Yeah, you need to check that out. Oh, They're I'll, really user-friendly, easy to figure out. They can video. Yeah. And seriously, Vandy's got two or three of them when he said he was taking them to you. So <laughs> we won't right. right, good good try. <laughs> so, look, before we get in with, uh, with uh, Marcus, can we uh, – there's one thing I wanted to point out. Did y'all see the state record catfish was caught a couple I, you of days ago? You know I did. Yep. 131 pounds. That's a giant blue. blue. That's a big fish. That's a big fish. It stretched from one end of the tailgate to the other. That was one proud fisherman. You know? Yeah. Buy stock in a hush puppy company right now. <laughs> you know they ate that thing. I mean, I'm just going to say it. Who would eat something that old? I would. I would. You would eat a you would eat a blue cat that old. Well, I couldn't catch a catfish like that and it die. I mean, not eat it. Yeah. Right. That would be completely yeah. disrespectful. So, in my opinion, no, you're right. So, you're right. So, what does old have to do with if it's it's either good or it didn't? You know, I, don't, I mean, you just always hear people say, you know, if a fish is over this size and it it probably ain't worth. So you don't eat two hundred pound tuna when they come in. I know I do. That's that's different. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Same thing, only different. Uh, well, con- congratulations. The guy's name is Eugene Cronley that caught the fish and fought him for 40 minutes. Oh, that- and shattered the record. Wasn't the old record like 112 or something? 95 Nin- pounds, I think. That is I mean, yeah. huge. Wow. Yeah. It's a monster. Vicksburg. Oh, no. uh, Natchez. Natchez. And that's where bad. the previous <laughs> record was caught mm. as well. So. Mm. Yeah, I bet your cuss knows about those big catfish down there. Probably. Yeah. He knows exactly. All right, he well, knows about the plays, I can promise you. Yeah, 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 yes, he does. He sure does. So, look, let's get started. And and Dr. Marcus Lashley, thank you for being here. Absolutely. And uh, and I failed to mention you've got the the University of Florida Deer Lab. So that's mm-hmm. at UF Deer Lab, I think. Yep. Is that right? So you guys are doing a lot of studying of wildlife and figuring out ways, but it looks to me like you are really interested in turkeys and hens and nesting. Oh, yeah. And creating that kind of habitat. And anybody that says, I'm more into making turkeys than taking turkeys, yeah. that's you. Yeah. So what, what, you had, what's been going on in, with the recent study you had? Yeah, so, uh, well, some of the uh, making turkeys instead of taking turkeys is not by on, on purpose, I'll have to say that. Well, you took one this morning. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I know. Well, hey, I tell know. us that story real yeah, quick. It sounded pretty good. You killed one yeah. this morning, didn't you? Yeah, so, well, when my alarm went off and I woke up and it was a, just a god-awful storm, thunder, you know, I could hear it just beating down, and uh, I just went on back to sleep, and then I woke up about, maybe 7.30, and it was kind of drizzling a little bit, but it was calming down. I could tell it moved on. So I decided to get up and, and get out and see what was happening. So I went and got in the kind of in a transition into a bottomland hardwood area, and I knew that there were turkeys in the area. We had been seeing them around there, and, and uh, nobody was speaking. Of same thing. I've been hunting for several days, very little gobbling. We've seen a few birds in some fields, but uh, just no gobbling. And uh, so this morning I didn't expect to hear any, and I sat there for maybe an hour and a half, wow. and nothing. 
not a peep, no hens, nothing. So I, you know, just sitting there thinking through all these different things, trying to think, you know, going way back, trying to figure out if I knew anything about turkeys that was going to help me in this situation. The cerebral turkey. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm going through all this stuff in my head and, and then uh, actually a hooded warbler came and sat on a limb right in front of me. Oh, so I cool. got to nice. watch that, and it was chirping around. And I was like, well, now I know what their call is. I, you know, I, kn- I know I learned that at one time, but I'd forgotten. So I'm sitting there watching that. And for some reason, when it flew off, I just kind of got this idea that I ought to try to gobble at one. Wow. I hadn't done that, and I don't know when. Gift from God. So I, I had a, a box that I carry with me when it's rainy like that that will work in the rain, and uh, I took that off and tried to gobble with it. You know, of course, it doesn't sound that good, but it was good enough because <laughs> they lit up when I did that. Really? I heard several gobbles respond wow. to it, wow. and they were all together. Two-year-olds. Yummy. <laughs> <laughs> hey. As long as it's, as long as it's an adult, what they I do. am all about it. <clears throat> <laughs> couldn't couldn't agree more. Yeah. So they they gobbled maybe you know ten or twelve times, and it was I could tell it was several birds together. And then hands started going off, and then I started talking to them a little bit, and uh, then they they kind of shut up. So I kind of figured out you know on Onyx what to uh, what to do. I creeped around, and uh, I knew there was a little path that kind of meandered through the the hardwoods that I could get in front of them, at least based on what I thought they were doing. And uh, I went down there and I found a place to cross the creek, got in that little path, set up, and it was just, it was like one of those trees that somebody just put there for you to sit on Mm -hmm. with a 35-yard shot within this little hole right in the crook of the road, you know, just perfect. So I sat there for a few minutes, hadn't heard anything, nothing. Then I clucked twice, and a hen clucked back at me, and then everybody gobbled, and I was already in the wheelhouse. Yeah. I had gotten right in front of them. Did your heart rate increase at that time? <laughs> no, I was choking on it. I was holding it back. Yeah, that's when my heart, my, mine gets in my throat. No when you doubt. And you know it's on. It's fixing oh, yeah. to happen. You know yeah. you're there. I was trying to constrict it with my throat, but, you know, it was keeping me from uh, coming out of my chair there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I sat there. I mean, it seemed like it was three or four hours, but it's probably a few minutes. And uh, I could hear the turkeys then, and so I know that there's a lot of them. You know, I could just – it sounded like a bunch of them kicking around down there, and I heard a couple of hens going back and forth. A Jake gobbled. He only made one note of the gobble. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a Jake. You know, what what's going on here? And uh, then all of a sudden, I see a little red head pop out, and it was about half white and half red. And he comes walking up, and he goes right around my hole on the upside of it, gets over to my right where he's in the wide open, and looks around. He's looking past me in the curve of the road, and then he turns back and walks right back down the road, right into my scope, right where I was looking down that 35 yards. Didn't have to move. Every mm-hmm. time it happens Didn't. perfectly like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I've been saying, like <laughs> I've been saying, I've been making a lot of turkeys, and I haven't been taking any, and I've been hunting them hard, 
I need one. Yeah. You need it. Somebody needs to show up. That's called righteous indignation right there, guys. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, well, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. You know, I was tickled about it. First thing I did was look to see what it's been eating, you know? (laughs) Yeah. See what he's eating. Yeah. What was in there? Acorns. There was no acorns no in there. There were a couple wild. of bugs in it and a few seeds, like grasses. Yeah. And uh, there were a couple of other fruit seeds in it, but have it didn't you have much. Seen, has, have you ever had a, one with a full crawl? I've never found oh, yeah. much yeah. in there. You know, Especially a, late <clears throat> birds like that. Yeah. yeah. It was about this time when Daniel killed one, and uh, we had sprayed um, for sickle pod, really bad sickle pod. And I forget the chemical and the residual weed that came up was like this real wispy looking seed head thing. It's real, I don't know what the word for wispy. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I never thought anything about it. It was out in that field, but when we, we were coming up the hill at our place in Alabama and they were, saw these turkeys and they didn't see us, we froze and they went on around the corner. We went around another direction. It was like mid that, middle of the day, like 11 o'clock or something like that. And Kind of like what he said. When I yipped and they all three gobbled, I was like, this is fixing to happen. So anyway, Daniel mm-hmm. killed a turkey. had a great hunt. I could see it. It was all in the sun. It was real pretty. But the craw was just like completely poking out. Mm-hmm. And it was packed with that little. I showed it to you. I brought some to you, Dudley. Was it, it was like a, a panicum? Like a, yeah, yeah, something like that. But it was it was more seed. It was like real wispy. Like the, the seed head was like six to inches to a foot long of all these little white hairy things weird i've never seen much of it before that field was slammed full of it and his craw was packed full of that stuff mm. so i was like i've said all the time how can we unlock that i used to call it what's the what's the spring chief of seed mm. you know something or right. something or chief of something that fruits and seeds in the spring i noticed this year i sent you a picture of a uh what was the one i sent you a picture of and it had a white flower on it the first of march and it's a it's like a, a partridge pea type is a plant. I sent a picture of it. I'll show it tomorrow because he'll recognize it. But I'm just saying, is this something desirable as a seed? And Dudley says, yeah, it is. You know, and so I forgot the name. You told me what it was. I'm saying, well, if, if it's flowering at the first of March, I was in there with Rodney and his little grandson. Then it's going to be a seed in turkey season. So there's a there's a there's a plan answer there. There's an answer right there. Mm-hmm. So I don't Dudley, know what was that. I don't know. I looked in my text and all it I was, was like a white photos of storms pre- going towards my farm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> S- yeah. Radar well, screenshots. It's a question for the roundstone guys and for us to figure out too. What can you well, do? And some, you know, some of these seeds are so hard they'll last on it. Like yeah. a partridge pea, if you had enough of them and they weren't disturbed too bad by mm-hmm. someone like they'll be, they'll be good. You know? Yeah. Well, that, uh, Funny thing is, yesterday when I was kicking around, I mean, when I'm walking around in the woods, I'm doing things that most people probably aren't. I mean, everybody's trying to learn, but I do things that are kind of weird as a scientist. So I started seeing some hand scat, you know, around. So I just was digging around in it, seeing, and all of a sudden I started noticing there's a bunch of seeds in it. Mm. So now I've got the... You know, this light bulb comes on. I'm about to see what these hens have been eating. So I found three and uh, got the seeds out of it. And, of course, uh, doing a lot of stuff with wildlife and studying what they eat all the time, I actually knew what the seeds were mm. on a lot of them. Wow. So uh, I posted that online, and because I kind of got the idea. Everybody's walking around in the woods everywhere. 
send me some pictures. I got people that, that work on identifying seeds all the time. Right. We'll figure out what it is. But that, you know, that's the exactly what you're saying. Yes. Like, they're, they're eating a lot of fruits off of forbs and, and uh, you know, different vines and things at this time of the year hmm. that we may not even be thinking about. Hey, this is Toxie Hayes with Mossy Oak. You know, hunting and fishing, gamekeeping, and taking care of the land with my family is my life. And I'll be honest with you, the one app that I'm on every day and use more than anything is Onyx. It literally has changed my life. From property ownership to roads, everything to do with understanding the land better. I even use it to plot acreages all the time. Every function I could dream of. Use coupon code Mossy Oak to save 20% on your next Onyx subscription. Trust me, you'll be so glad you did. Will Primo sent me a photo a year or two ago, and it, uh, this turkey's crop. Uh, South Alabama. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely full of this seed, and we finally figured out that it was American snowbell. Snowbell. Uh, which the it just sat in the under the leaves all winter long, mm-hmm. and this turkey happened to find it. And, yeah. Uh, well, the, some people were thinking it was pawpaw seeds. But, yeah. Uh, and uh, but it was that Styrax genus. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, I know. It's really, really interesting. Thank you, Mister Know It All. Uh, that was all it had eaten. <laughs> yeah. But if that's all there is, that's what, you know, they're going to. Yeah. They're going to eat what's there or they're going to leave and find something somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, I've opened a crop and it was, like you said, Toxie, just stuffed full. You could see it sticking out. Yeah. And it was uh, Carolina geranium. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The oh, ones yeah. here, yeah. Nothing but. They, mm-hmm. Those infest all of our disc up fields, especially mm-hmm. the crop stuff, but food plots too. And it's a nuisance. But the old saying has always been when you can walk across one of those big fields. To listen early in the morning, and you get over and you look down at your boots, and it's covered with those little teeny seeds off of those that mm-hmm. the turkeys are going to start hitting the big fields. And so there is a lot of that in this part of the world. I don't know about the rest, of it, but the clay soils in this part of the world mm-hmm. and the farmland. But even we, you know, if you've disturbed a food plot to make a food plot, it's not such a great thing if, if it's crowding out your clover. But evidently, that seed does, and I think everything seems to be later this year, maybe. Mm-hmm. You sure just tell like us it. about this morning seeing that many turkeys still bunched up. Yeah. Either there's a lot of food aggregating them there or something, but you would think they'd be more scattered out right now. We, you know, yeah, this, I would have thought. This Alabama season runs to the 8th this year. We might end up having some pretty good hunting then that we mm-hmm. didn't even know about. Who knows? Yeah. It'll be a first. So how many turkeys were there when you shot? Did the rest of them Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's supposed to be asking you do that not, kind of stuff. You do not. I, this is not a deposition, Bobby. I'm just yeah. going to go ahead and say that I'm not going to disclose where this was. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I was just wondering if you calmed the flock down like that was <laughs> Bobby, you know better than to ask that kind of question. Oh no, gosh. they flushed everywhere. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, I, I don't know how many, but it was a bunch. Well, uh, but the Bobby enjoys calm about the the hen scout. It was, uh, I think Dudley said one of the things I thought was interesting. I, I found Greenbrier. I knew that seed right off yeah. because I look at Greenbrier seeds all the time. That big black, but, big big black. Yeah, yeah but the the seed is kind of like this glossy purple. It looks like a little bead. And so when I saw it, That's I right. yeah, was pretty sure. And uh, the guy I was with saw some fruit right there, and we checked it, and sure enough, that's what it was. But uh, also there was a partridge pea. 
Yeah, I was I was thinking it might have been that centrosema or something, you know, a similar yeah. like a butterfly pea or partridge pea, something yeah. like that. One of the seeds, it, it, the color wasn't quite right, but then I was thinking through that and it's like, well, that would have had been last year's seed. They would have had to scratch that up. But the seed, you know, some of those seeds they'll sit in the seed bank for literally over a hundred years. Wow, some of those forbs uh, and still germinate. So, in fact, uh, like ragweed, they've been testing seeds that we've had since like the mid 1800s and we don't even know how long they'll last because they still germinate hmm. from that's, these ancient seeds so it's really that's cool incredible uh, but uh, they're they're definitely uh you know scratching that stuff up he said that day by the way i just looked it up said carolina vetch oh yeah yeah for what it's worth that was what i saw yeah this was flowering it got my interest because it was flowering and i just lost it Hold on. on the first uh First of March. Yeah, it looks like one of the native vetches, Vicia. Mm. And uh, not know, the, to be confused with the non-native uh, stuff you see on the side of the road. Yeah, I'll have to check out the seed on that one. I don't know what it. It's a like. little round seed that's uh, rough, little little bitty seed. Mm. Thank you, Mister Know-It-All. <laughs> Thank that, you, Mister Know-It-All. <laughs> so that was that picture was from the first of March, and I was and like, gets old. if that's oh, yeah. if that. If that seed it makes is, um, you know, palatable and attractive to them and nutritious, it's going to get a seed out in the springtime. Yeah. It's going to, as soon as it warms up, that's mm-hmm. a seed right there. So, anyway, it was in the middle of a, down on Harmon Lake and that big mature hardwood stuff too. So it doesn't take a lot of sunshine either. Mm-hmm. You know, something else I was seeing a whole bunch of was uh, partridge berry. They're, they're in is that a little fruit. red, little yeah, it's red, a little red fruit. real close to the ground? Yep. yep. Partridge berry. And the, yep. and the turkeys, the hens were eating that? I, well, I don't know if they were eating it, but they certainly will. Yeah. And good try. Uh, good try, Bob. You try to catch a shade-tolerant <laughs> plant. You know, yep. the, not too many shade-tolerant plants <clears throat> out there. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it produces a lot of... No, it, pretty typical only to see one fruit per plant, even. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there, there'll be enough of it that... They're certainly coming around eating it, and that's why it has the the little fleshy fruit on it, just to get stuff to eat it. Why are a lot we of those seeds are native? Not to be confused with partridge pea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Partridge berry the, is Michella, I think. Yeah, Michella repetit. Michella. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Noah. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> Lanny, are, are, are you, what are you checking your email? No, I'm looking at all this stuff they're saying. I'm looking at pictures. Of like, I didn't know that's what that was. Yeah. And like, I'm asking Dudley, why are we growing this stuff? You've got mail. Add it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. we need to grow some of this stuff. All right, well, let's let's. Partridgeberry. Tr- you've got a nesting story uh, yeah. or, or project that's going on. What's what's happening there? Well, I, I wasn't in. I, I didn't do the project. It was actually my my mentor uh, was one of the people, Craig Harper, and and uh, uh, they have been working on a turkey study in Tennessee for a few years. But when it came out, it really. It, and this was just in the last few weeks, it really resonated with me because I, I think it it uh, highlights something that I see as a real issue for turkeys. Now, we're worried about turkey turkeys just in general, and there are a couple of ways that you can go about that. One, you could increase adult survival, right? That means that we back off of, you know, killing them. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, some other things that you could do, but... Uh, the other way you could look at it is increased productivity. So we can improve nesting, we can improve poult survival, 
those sorts of things. But in this study, I thought it was pretty telling because they, they were, I forget how many turkeys it was that they, hens that they had radio tagged, but it was, you know, 170 or something like that. Wow, that's a big. lot of them. That's a lot. A lot, lot of them. And they followed a whole bunch of nests over a couple of years. And the thing that was really striking to me was where they chose to nest and what characteristics those were. And in particular, early succession that was old field plant communities, not talking about, you know, uh, pasture land, uh, although that often gets lumped into that category in some of these studies. This is early succession where you don't really have that much grass in it. It's mostly forbs. A lot of this stuff that we've been talking about, a lot of white and yellow flowered stuff in there. Partridge pea would be in it, you know, a lot of these different things. And uh, there will be some grass, but it's bunch grasses. And then there may be some shrubs depending on how long it's been. But that's, you know, I'm trying to illustrate to you what, what that looks like. Sure. About 25% of the nests were in that. If you look at, in the county, I think it was four counties that they did it in, and they looked at the percentage of the land cover that actually was classified as that, it was about 3%. So turkeys were actively seeking that out to nest in That's the skew right there, big Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. So what they did, they looked at available to the the hens. So they actually looked at their home range and figured out what did she have access to. And that uh, was pretty telling too because about 15% of the hens' home range was early succession. So even her movements during that time period were, you know, skewed toward that early succession. But just... Is so little of the landscape. So the the other uh, vegetation structure that was really important to them, they called shrubland, which is just a little bit later in the early succession, right? So we're just, now we're getting some more shrub encroachment. That was also uh, over 20% of the nest, and I think it was about 4% of the available in, in the counties. So, uh, so they're actively seeking that... that- type of cover out yes so if you look at the what was available the hens versus what was available in the whole county as a whole they were actively seeking those areas out based on their behavior and then almost 50 percent of the nest in the study were in one of those two and it was only seven percent of the available area in the county so till so those typically get bush hogged or hayed every year the other 90 something percent well they would definitely be bush hogs. So a lot of people are think if you're thinking about hay, that's driven by grass. Right, right. So we're talking about stuff where they're you know if you go in there and look and and you're kind of looking in the plant community and there's a bunch of bahia or fescue uh, or Bermuda, if that is underneath all the plants, that's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about very little grass cover, and a lot of that will be bare ground, especially if you're managing it with fire. Or, or disking or something like, or both. Uh, so we're just talking about different stages of that. So, you know, in the first couple of years, you won't have that much shrub. And then a couple of years later, it'll be shrubby. And then people will really be, oh, I need to get in there and bush hog, you know, that right. we're going to lose right. it. Uh, but that's what we're talking about. And it's, I mean, on the landscape, I think that's pretty telling in that study. It, it illustrates and puts a number on it, but that, that's what I see everywhere. So help help the average guy more understand 
those two classifications of early succession and then I guess secondary succession right yeah. behind that. What that really means, I mean, I, I, I think I know. From, mm-hmm. I've been around that all, but I want to be sure that everybody kind of understands that because sometimes, well, you know, us Mister Know It Alls will yeah, and, and it'll how, blow right over their head. And how could they possibly, more importantly, affect that on their place? I mean, even a small amount of that might yeah. go a long way. Look, on yes. most places, even a small place, a couple of successful nests is huge mm-hmm. today. So, well, and that's the thing about gamekeepers, we're talking to everybody. Yeah. We want everybody to take it in their own hands, not mm-hmm. sit back and look at you or me or University of Florida or the National Wild Turkey Federation or the U.S. government or whoever or some you know big philanthropist. Everybody mm-hmm. needs to take yeah. matters into their own hands, well, but then, in an educated way with help yeah. from people like him. So I'd love for them to understand how to create some of that early succession. Sure. Well, um, so I think you're exactly right. Even small landowner, if you have some openings – you have it's, it's amazing when you're hunting large tracks, large landowner tracks, how many of the turkeys will be attracted to a smaller track near it that's been mm-hmm. kind of left to do its own thing for the most part and become yeah. what he's talking about. I can yeah. I don't give away too many things, but it's a crazy how many <laughs> can, times that happens. Yeah. Can you show me that? On no, 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 no. <laughs> you're way too close to it already. <laughs> I'll show you while walking with you. How about yeah, that? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I think you're exactly right. This is something, and the early succession in particular, you can manage without fire if if you're one of those people that are in a place or or you're not ready to use it or don't want to for whatever reason. You can manage it with with another practice like riding a tractor. You wouldn't hook up the mower, though. We'd be hooking up the disc. And uh, in these areas, so I guess to directly go back to what your, your original question was, when we're talking about succession, if you go into a field and we just completely, you know, disc it up where it's all bare dirt, well, the first things that would that would invade that generally are going to be annual plants and it'll be uh, forb dominated. So you'll have herbaceous annuals and often they're broadleaf. A lot of them are producing all these seeds and fruits and stuff that we're talking about Uh the other thing that they they tend to be very high quality in terms of their leaf quality, so deer like them, for instance, but they also produce a lot of insects. And we know turkeys love insects, especially when they're about this tall, right? They're just a few inches tall. They literally cannot eat other things. They have to eat the insects to, for that protein. So that, that would be the first level of succession, where it's primarily annual plants, and they're mostly annual forbs. That doesn't mean you won't have some grass in there, but that typically would be a little bit later. You've got the forbs first. The second year, depending on how productive it is and where you're at, second, third year, now we'll start having some of these bunch grasses mix in. We'll have a lot of perennial plants. You might see stuff like pokeweed, for instance, start showing up. You'll have goldenrod, you know, some of these perennial forbs invading and also... You know your uh, some of your native grass clump grasses. Uh, you'll see those big blue stem or little blue stem, something like that. So we'll we'll see those starting to invade, but the plant community as a whole is still dominated by herbaceous. It just now has herbaceous uh, annual and herbaceous perennial plants. Three four years into that, 
and it could be a little bit faster, a little bit slower, depending on the productivity, but we'll start to get some shrubs in, like uh, sumacs and stuff like that. You know, maybe some some blackberry and, and uh, you know, some of the brambles and stuff will start getting mixed in. So now we're getting a little bit, you know, toward the end of that second stage and on into the third stage now, and when it starts to be dominated by the woody plants that are starting to invade, now we're moving on a little farther. That's where we, the, what they were classifying as shrubland right. in that. So, uh, that, that, yeah, that's basically walking you through that. Right. That, so that as a whole a is, is missing. Right. So you would actually, the ideal nesting uh, brood rearing habitat would be what you're saying with some areas of more clarity of vision right on the ground level. Like mm-hmm. it could be some strips mowed. Yeah. Or it could be some stuff close by that has got overhead cover, but they can see good on the ground level. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's that, the very, very important thing, especially in the first 10 days yes, of life. Yes, absolutely. They have to be able to navigate on the ground, and you should be able to see dirt in there. So it I, shouldn't be grass. I've it noticed dirt. The, probably seven, eight years ago, we thinned a large portion of pines on the place I have that's gotten more timber than anywhere else, so we won't call any names. But, um, and began, <laughs> waited a while, and then began to burn, and we don't burn everything, but we burn every year, no matter what, even if it's just a, to say we did. We burned a lot this year, but I, I will see a big areas of the blackberry mm-hmm. that you won't walk through it in a pair of briar pants. Yeah. But, and it's just almost like up to head high. I mean, if you walk through there to try to get some, it'll mm-hmm. scrape, your face, uh, scrape your face off. It's so... But if you get out on the ground and look through, I mean, poles would have no problem running yeah. through it. And I feel like it's great brood rearing stuff because there's no way a hawk or something could get through there. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe a bobcat could catch it or something. I don't know. But even then, it's just like a maze that a little turkey would have no problem yeah. getting through and hiding real quick. But then the other stuff, especially a human, could not get yeah. through. And I, I kind of like that and don't want to bush hog it or kill it or knock it back down myself. Mm-hmm. Even when it burns, it's still there. It doesn't yeah. burn up, you know. Well, I, that's one thing I really love is when you burn through that, you still have a lot of overhead that's, structure. That's what well, I Most like, people yes. think, oh, we've just wiped out all the cover. <clears throat> well, that's not necessarily true. If you're burning that kind of stuff, you often will have a lot of really great cover, and then you have little cooked blackberries yes. and bugs laying around everywhere under that. And and This is the, this is the kind of stuff that when you're – you and your buddies are preparing for fall food plots, yes. and you've you uh, you know you show up and there's two tractors cranked, and instead of going to your fields uh, on the way, you end up just clearing little logging deck openings mm-hmm. and thinking you're making your place prettier and easier to hunt, but in reality, you're uh, no. you're getting rid of some really good brood yeah. rearing habitat, especially if you're mowing. Yeah, mowing tends to to uh, do some things in terms of the plant committee. You're removing all that cover, but you're also promoting plants that are not desirable in that to, to return in it. You, those perennial grasses in particular, you're kind of lopping them off. They're all laying around, you know, all that debris and everything. There's no bare soil. And then those plants will end up dominating. And that's not necessarily what you want. You want some of that mixed in, but the forbs are, are often the, the thing that's limited and that is where you what you'll lose with mowing, and uh, yeah, that I, I can't stress enough how important this 
type of structure is on the landscape. And that the Tennessee study showed it. They, they followed the nest success, and those nests performed better. And I, 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 if anybody wants this, just send me a message. I've been sending the paper to everybody that asks about it. It's open for anybody to read. Happy to give it to you. And I can't remember, can't remember exactly what the numbers are, but I believe it was about a 2% per day it, when they were in the highest quality nesting cover. There's about a 2% per day increase in survival rate of the nest compared to the worst cover, which would have been like, you know, pasture land if they nested in it. say somebody wants to create this on their place and they have, okay, granddad turned over more than, uh, he, he turned over one of his cow pastures that he always said, you know, that's my my pasture, Mm -hmm. you can't do anything with it. Well, now it's yours. You can do whatever you want. So how do you convert that to that type of cover? So if it's a, if it's been... Bahia, Bermuda, Bermuda, something like that. If it's, we'll just go with Bahia. That's so common in our part of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, With Bahia, you're going to have to kill the Bahia. So is that a Mazapir? There's a couple of different things you could spray that. Plus, I don't want to get it until it gets too tall, wouldn't it, Dudley? Uh, Clethodum will kill it. It's a grass selective, but uh, yeah, they, it's it's one of the tougher ones. And uh, I talked to some of the the local state agency guys on this. They're really good about it. And uh, folks that are in the state can reach out to those guys. There are a couple of them that are exceptional with field conversion like this. But uh, yeah, they're you. You basically need to prep it. You need the grass to be really growing, and you need to use one of a few chemicals. Clethodum could be a really good one, uh, and you need that. You want to spray it when the grass is actively growing, and you're probably going to have to do it more than once. So uh, once you do that, though, then you can burn that off, and that immediately will start this thing. And if if you were to burn it, even if even if you couldn't kill it everything, but you could burn that off prior to the nesting season, it would probably be what you're talking about to get a poult raised, and then you'd have to fight it again mm-hmm. if you didn't eliminate it. But at least the well, burning would prepare it much yeah, better for that, that season. Exactly. You you would definitely be much better off with that yeah. than you would have been by just leaving it in Bahia. So we had some a lot of areas that we inherited, and, and I say inherited when we bought some property, that had that old, I guess they call it old Kentucky fescue, and it chokes out everything. Mm-hmm. Big, mm-hmm. heavy bladed. Yeah, that shiny, yes, clumpy grass. Real waxy, heavy. And I mean, it's actually not great cattle grazing stuff. It's so tough, but it's definitely worth nothing to deer. And, and turkeys and poults can't get this. It was like a death trap to turkeys. Mm-hmm. And so we would spray it, and we just use Roundup. So mm-hmm. spray it, and I told Greg, he's in charge of everything now, spray it, disc it up. The first time we sprayed it, it was still dead. We we burned it mm-hmm. and disc it up, let it come to life. Do it. and we did it three times in the course of summer. Let it come to life. Get, mm-hmm. Let it get six inches tall, and and some kept coming back. And finally, the last time he rounded yeah. up it again, and we put it all in clover. And it's been like six years now. And it's still the most beautiful clover you've ever seen because mm-hmm. it was great clover ground with that clay soil right there. Yeah. Perfect pH. You know, we fertilized it a little bit, but it it, it could have done it on its own. Mm-hmm. But it converted all that, and we just took the one summer to get rid of it. I don't know how many times you got to spray it to get that. 
Uh, maybe there's an easier yeah. way than what I did, but it made an instantaneous difference in mm-hmm. the wildlife usage. And the, honestly, more than anything, I saw we saw more turkeys coming back in that area because we ended up converting 30 or 40 acres of that. That mm-hmm. was just solid fescue. I bet that helped the quail down there, too. There's more, a little bit more quail. I see more quail response where we had zero from the burning than I do anything, mm-hmm. quite honestly. But I'll say what, the deer quality jumped significantly in just a mm-hmm. year or two because there was just – it was – and I'm sure it helped bugs mm-hmm. that they could catch and get through. But yeah. it's just cool to see, especially, and I'm, you know me, I'm a big crow in advertisement for non-typical clover, but it's literally changed my places like no thing I've ever planted before. So mm-hmm. I'm going to keep talking about it. And, uh, you know, like we've got that local WMA, there was some controversy about it. We talked about it in the podcast, but uh, one of the first things they did uh, when uh, the state got Black Prairie WMA was they did a fescue eradication mm-hmm. program. Yeah. And uh, it turned that place from a zero into a hero mm-hmm. you know, practically I overnight. I, I don't think people understand the value of that cover type and how rare it is on the landscape now. It used to dominate it, and now it's pretty rare. And uh, with something like fescue and bahia, they're a little bit different because one's a cool season grass and the other one. So you might do the fescue stuff late in the year versus right. the right. the bahia. But uh, when you're disking in particular, one of the things that's really conducive to this is when you're planting in the fall, that's when you would want to be disking anyway to promote a lot of the good stuff that's going to be there for this the upcoming turkey season. And in some cases, you can even plant something in your fall plot and then let it get messy and the the turkey use of that you know where you have a bunch of non uh, things that you didn't plant but they're native forbs that are invading those plots a lot of people want to go in there and mow them like goldenrod stuff like that yeah you know you've got all these things and the structure that of that stuff invading just yep. increases the value of the plot for turkeys. Yeah. In, and in some of that stuff actually is no big harm to your your clovers that you're yeah. trying to grow because, honestly, the, the biggest uh, invasive, unless it's maybe giant ragweed or something, that, you know, cucumbers, I don't know, something with big leaves mm-hmm. shades it all out. The grasses are the big evil to mm-hmm. choke them all out, some of that yeah. native fescue or right. some of the stuff you're talking about. So, yeah. I, I mean, some other stuff in there. I mean, one of the great partner plants we've always talked about is a little bit of wheat or an mm-hmm. oat, but not a lot. Yes. So it, it grows up, dies off, and you got all those little seed heads yep. and a little bit of cover and shade with that clover, and it's perfect yeah. for raising turkeys. And with that, that's, you know, with the soil disturbance, especially if you go a little bit lighter on, on the 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 uh, wheat or whatever, yeah. that dies off, and then you get this flush of native forbs because of that soil disturbance that kind of invade that. And that structure is much more usable for turkeys, especially you know when, when you get a little later in brooding, that insect production in that is just so high. So that that's really good. Uh, another thing that I commonly run into with people when we're talking about this is people have their pastures and they don't want to give that up, you know, or they don't want to give up their food plots or whatever for this succession. But we're not talking about having to convert the entire field. Absolutely. You can, you can take a little section of it, especially, you know, one of the, the wood lines that, you know, maybe you've got a, a part of it that, that uh, you know, because of the woods being on the edge, it doesn't grow as well anyway. Set those aside 
and just think of those as your early succession. And if you can mosaic that in with the stuff you're planting, man, it, it is a turkey production machine if you have that early succession. In diversity. There. I was just thinking the whole time yeah. Yeah. hearing him talk today. Diversity, diversity, diversity. I was thinking about, you mm-hmm. know, you cut some, you thin some pines, and so now you can burn that. Well, the, I think myself, the worst thing you do is burn all of that because there's nothing to prevent or protect from overhead when you first thin mm-hmm. them. It's not can it be recanvited back out. So patchwork it. Yep. You know, like the food plots. I know, you know, if you got a five-acre field, you want to plant every acre in something to draw a deer out. But mm, you might even see more deer if yep. you make some diversity out of that. Let yeah. some disc it and let it come up natural, you know, mm-hmm. and that the next area be a big patch of clover, you know, and then have something else going there. But he keeps going yep. back to that diversity that we're missing today. Yep. You know? One, another thing that's beautiful about this, if you have that early succession in it, and, man, those places are really easy to burn when they're surrounded by green yes. fire breaks, which are your food plots. So would I'm, I'm trying to make notes and, and make sure I understand this. So would I get – thank you, thank you, Lanny, for me. So, so – We're recording the, it, aren't we? Yeah. But about the fourth year, that third or fourth year, do you go back and then re, and redisc that again to start it all over? So it, it depends on what's missing in the landscape. And it, I think you hit right on it that you need diversity. The thing that is missing all over the place is that early succession and, and the shrublands okay. So you can have, ideally you'd have different levels of it all accessible. So another thing that we don't ever think about, I, I never hear anybody talk about, they, these little poles can't thermoregulate very well. Yeah. I just learned that, that our pups we just raised. That's one thing we had to be conscious of, yeah. you know, at our kennels. They can't thermoregulate for three, yeah. six, eight weeks, really. Wait, what are y'all talking about, thermoregulate? They can't. Your they body can't. temperature is 98.6. They can't thermo. They can't regulate their own body yeah. temperature. So if they're – that's why I remember when I was a kid and Dr. Speak from Auburn was one of the pioneers. He said when you have that cold, wet weather mm-hmm. in May – we lose so many poults to whatever. They die from They thought yeah. colds and viruses and stuff, but that's what he's well, saying. They can't. Yeah. And, you you know, most people go right to cold, and that is a, a big problem. If they get too cold, they die. Right. But they also die if they get too hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the hen is going to take the poult out in these early succession areas, cool. and if that is a, a pasture that's nipped down to the, you know, down to the ground, when they're less than 10 days of life, they, they may overheat and die. Wow. I mean, they, they can Both. die really fast. So you want that o- that bare ground with that overhead structure. And we're talking, you know, these plants may be knee high to, to waist high. We're not talking about tall stuff, but you just imagine that being their canopy. And then there, you know, there's these little bumblebees running around underneath it and they need a lot of bare ground and all the insect production from those forbs you know, the, the overhead cover that they're providing and the shade that they're providing are all critical elements for pulp survival. How do they ever survive? No, there's tough. so much Everything going wants them. to eat them. Everything. And there's so much more of, of what eats them. Yeah. Every year there's more and more of that. I they, mean, there's... They got to make it through the late cold, you know, if they're born too early, uh, no. too early and then uh, they got to make it through the heat all the way through the summer. And a lot of that happens in... These, these kinds of areas and they're they're basically that kind of structure is relegated to little narrow strips that people couldn't mow or maybe it's along a fence line you know it's just not that much on the landscape and it doesn't take that much 
where you could just set aside an acre here and there or a few acres and you can really bump up productivity really quick because it is such a huge limitation on nesting success and poult rearing success. So, Dudley, uh, I remember a couple of quail people that have bought a lot of, like, Chickasaw plum from us, but there are other shrubby, you know, because, like, kind of dwarfy, shrubby stuff is what he's talking mm-hmm. about that wouldn't get over four to eight foot tall and probably still be manageable, would just shrub out and kind of provide covers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the better... Uh, cultivars or plants well, for that. and bottom ground, uh, button bush, mm. uh, that would work really well. Uh, mm-hmm. But like stuff like American Beautyberry. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, you might think I'm crazy, but uh, what's the uh, what's groundsel bush? What's what's the other name for that? That uh, you're asking me. Um, well, we've got <laughs> we've got Marcus there. The yes. yeah. yeah. We ought to get uh, an back, Bacarus. <laughs> Right. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, like Mr. A, Bill, that's a, that's Mr. A, Bill's land. Right, uh, yeah. Remember all that backrus right. everywhere? That's a bad word, but yeah. Well, I bet I bet it would make good <laughs> brood rearing cover. Probably but, it could get pretty thick on it the definitely ground. Definitely provides yeah. part of the elements, but yeah, some of the that plant in particular won't support the insect production that yeah. you want. So, but if you have a you know those kinds of plants mixed in, right. and they're, uh, they're making these little yeah, yeah they're they're making these little mots right in there, and then you have a bunch of Goldenrod and uh, I'm trying to think of Eupatoriums, that genus. It has, there's a, a whole bunch of different things. They have white flowers mm-hmm. and uh, windblown seeds. You'll see them blowing all around. Uh, ragweed, pokeweed, all those sorts of things. If they're all mixed in there, you can bet that, you know, they're going to do pretty well in it. They're going to have some of those little areas they can tie to with shrubs where they can, you know, thermoregulate more easily, but also supporting really high insect and fruit and seed production that uh, turkeys really like. Wow. Lanny, do you need to go to the restroom or do you have yeah, a question? Yeah, I need to. No, I got a question. <laughs> so I, I'm, when y'all are talking, I'm visualizing all this stuff. I see this open pasture mm-hmm. and then I was burning it. And then, you know, through the years, I see how that stuff come back, and it comes back. And ultimately, it ends up, you know, around here, what I would call set aside looking. Mm-hmm. And so, at one, what looks, point looks ugly and messy? Yeah, but which is what, why we don't have any of it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> at what point do you reset the clock on that? Is that five, ten years? Because I know around here, or do we just go in there and strip disc in between it, or something like that? Well, in most cases, somewhere in the three to five year return. And think about it this way, too. You don't want to go. It's not like a food plot where you're going to go in and plant the whole plot. Again, right. You, you want to break it up so that you have different, different stages. And that way you always have some in each stage. And every year you get in and do a little bit of it. And if you're doing, if you have all of that accessible right together, you know, in multiple areas around the property, then you'll always have good structure right there for what they need it for. And they'll, I mean, they know what they're doing. They'll use it at the stage that they want. But once you start getting some of these trees invading, that's what I was wondering about. You you don't want to let it get to where you can't kill it with fire or you can't do anything with it without some sort of mechanical treatment, you know, like mowing or, or whatever. You don't want it to get to that point. Another thing that I, I see as a mistake that people make with this is they just let, a bahia field, for instance, go, and then you end up with a whole bunch of bahia under all of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't that's not get, what we want. yeah, that's not what we're looking for. You got to get rid of that grass if you really want to maximize productivity. They can use that. It's better than the bahia, 
you know, eating down to the ground, but it's still not as good as it would be if you got rid of the bahia. So when the sweet gum starts showing up, yeah, kind of, you don't you don't want to knock back down. Yeah, you know, you you could almost have a map and have uh, your land highlighted in different colors. Right, have when it on a five it year. So yeah, so on the fifth year, you're, you're gonna gonna, you're gonna set back all the stuff that you marked red, mm-hmm. and then well, the next year you're gonna get all yeah. the blue stuff. Right. Well, you know, yeah. uh, it's funny listening to to uh, Craig talk about this because he gets really animated about it. But a lot of people just need to get on the tractor and go mow something. So instead of doing that, just you can set aside some ground that you're going to go disc or, or spray. You know, you can go through that stuff, and there's going to be some stuff show up that you don't want. Just go through there and spot spray it. You know, shift your activity to that instead of the mowing. Right. And, and that can make a huge difference really quickly. Well, you can destroy a nest really quick mm-hmm. through – at least Fourth of July, but maybe longer. I've seen, yeah. you know, I've seen trail cam pictures lately of poults that are much bigger by like a quail in August. Yeah, so uh, they, it can uh, happen. You're you're exactly right. And let's think about that for just a minute. We're we're talking, you know, based on the Tennessee study, there's two percent per day is what I said, and that doesn't seem like much, but let's multiply that. That's a, you know, the compounding thing yes. that over the 28 day nesting period so now if you actually multiply that out we're talking about from a 20 something percent success rate to a 40 percent something success rate right that's a huge difference in nesting well compound that over four or five years and it's a ridiculous number that if you're in an area that you have some you know a bunch of hens and you multiply that over that much that is a, a tremendous difference in productivity. The number of turkeys being produced on the landscape, it, it's just, it's enormous. But what, exactly what he was saying is if you go in and mow that, you have just gone in and mowed the highest probability place for the nest to be successful. So not only did you destroy the nest, but you also mowed down the best place to nest in. So, you know, that that is really important. And, oh, and double I, whammy. Yeah, like you, like uh, people get really bent out of shape about burning and a, a nest getting burned up, right? Even though that might have a whole bunch of net good effects, nobody wants to do that. And I'm one of those people that don't want to, I don't want to see a nest burned up either, right? But then people are willing to go in and mow the, you know, well, let's back up. We would burn an area where they, you know, by the time it's getting to there, they're not really using it for nesting as much anymore anyway. So, but then we're going to go mow when it's a little bit younger than that, and it is where they would be nesting, and people will go in there and mow that down. And if you did it during nesting, you're that's going to be a big problem directly. But even if you don't do it during nesting, there still isn't the best nesting structure that was going to be available isn't there anymore. Question for you is made me think about something else that's a little off topic, but related to this is road systems. Mm -hmm. Because it reminded me that we kind of have a golden rule on my stuff or my farm is no bush hog until after 4th of July, Mm -hmm. unless you, you know, you're, 100% certain that what you're Mm -hmm. doing is like a leftover crop field or something. But we do have tried to, over time, without spending too much, slowly establish bigger right-of-ways mm-hmm. than the road. So maybe 50, 60-foot right-of-ways. Mm-hmm. And I know you're wasting a little timber growing ground and all, too. But 
Is that well? Do you is want that to grow trees or turkeys? Yes, right. That's exactly. And I can answer that question. I mean, I love trees, but turkeys come turkeys first. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And they're more uh, perishable these days. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that mowing that gives you that clearing they need, butted up to some burned stuff and bigger timber mm-hmm. enough. You don't need to do anything else. And usually, I've yet to find us to bush hog a nest ever that was in that road right away mm-hmm. or adjacent to it, as long as you don't go into something that's already got a lot of cover. You know, you mm-hmm. kind of if you can kind of see from the tractor cab down in there, then they're probably not nesting there. And mm-hmm. especially you don't get too close to where there will be some near the base of the trees where the brushiness hits the canopy, mm-hmm. you know, where it starts. So the, but anyway, I'm just saying, could people just make, you know, a lot of what you're talking about is just decisions you make, not mm-hmm. a bunch of money you spend. Right. You're, Honestly, you're just changing how yeah, you so do things. Give up. I'm just saying, I think if you're going through an area like this and have some property to do it, and it's a lot of cover or timber stuff, try to, whatever you get the opportunity, whether you cut some timber sometime and they can, mm-hmm. you know, you don't even have to stump it or whatever to keep it as an opening. And you get these wider openings mixed with the nesting habitat. Could it really turn well, into something special? Yes. To directly answer that, absolutely. And there are several things that are going on. So you're talking about daylighting the road. Yes. And you're essentially now creating your roadside as can, can be early succession. It also gives you an anchor point to burn off of. Yes. Which I have seen this done I don't perfection. even worry about it. When, when we burn yes. that place between the main road and the river, mm-hmm. it's not possible. Unless yeah. you burn in a 30-mile-an-hour wind or something stupid, yeah. which you can't do anyway. Yeah. So it really makes it so easy. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. So, and so there's other things that are going on too. So now you've created, you've also stacked in diversity right together because you have a transition from full sunlight to potentially even, you know, complete closed canopy in the forest where you could burn through that and you have a transition that by design is right next to each other. Right. And you're, they're using, you know, the, like you said, the nesting right there and, in the edge of the woods, and there's a lot of high, uh, high sunlight, but they're po- the pole rearing is going on right. long in that right away. And then if they need to loaf, you know, they, they, it's a hot day, they're going to loaf down in the hardwoods or whatever. That could be on farther down in there, and it's all right together. Also, the road is, in that case, now it's providing connectivity yes. so that they can travel all between well, the different things that they need on the property and you know, most people have good road systems, and that's one way that you could immediately improve habitat on the property, basically by design all through it, because you want to be able to access it, right? So yeah, and uh, so that's a great way to do it. Lots of places I can think of, like place Bobby and Laney hunt a lot. It's not, it's ugly, really ugly, <laughs> and um, I'm gonna say a whole lot more about it. But it, and it's like so you'd never think, but they, you know, it's not that. It matters. It matters. Do they raise turkeys? And I, mm-hmm. the road right of ways are almost all they have. But those big long strips of openings are mm-hmm. enough to give them something open. Yeah. You know, because it was just the one acre food plots here and there from log decks. It wouldn't be enough. Mm-hmm. Those road systems where y'all hunt are the key to that. Yeah. And of course, you do have the second thing is you've got constantly some kind of clear cut, and I'm sure they're attracted to that. But mm-hmm. I guess my point I was trying to make so people around the country listening. If you and please back me up because I'm just I'm freewheeling it and I I learned lean to your wisdom. But if you're cutting your place and you're clear cutting, 
do yourself a favor and prepare to be a bigger road right away running mm-hmm. through it because when that grows up the first couple of years, it's beautiful nesting yeah. habitat. Mm-hmm. And that'll go away with time. But if you give, honestly, if you give the bigger road right away and manage that just a little bit bigger, so from just a barely a, whatever, 25, 30-foot road, mm-hmm. you can barely get through double, triple the size of that. Yeah. Just making that decision could explode a turkey population yeah. on something you think might not even have a turkey. Yeah. And yeah, honestly, you, you, you'd help everything. You'd help the road mm-hmm. management system to daylight it, to keep it drier, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the upkeep of getting around on your place. And I, I would suspect with that kind of sunlight, you're going to help your deer a lot too. Oh, yeah. There's no question. And uh, you definitely, the wider you can, you're willing to go, the better. You don't want it to be just this narrow strip of good stuff. Yeah. Right? You want right. enough sunlight getting in. But, you know, you can treat that the same for each species, deer are going to be attracted to that high for production during the summer when they're growing antlers and lactating. So all of that goes together. You can also, I've seen this done really well, people will have a little strip of road that you can see a long ways. Now you've got your deer stand on it. You might yes. even plant a few patches along it. That's fine. You know, uh, think about it the same way where you want that all to be usable space. Yes, and it needs to be diverse and, you know, so you don't disturb it all at the same time. But uh, it's also adjacent to a transition in light as you go down into the forest. So it, what enhances this even more is if you daylight the road where you have full sunlight and then you do a thing called edge feathering is what we would call it. Yes. Uh, I don't know what uh, if if everybody knows what that means, but essentially what I'm talking about is you have a transition from the full sunlight, then you're getting some sunlight because there's a broken canopy, so you've killed some of the trees or harvested them or whatever. Think about a thin stand, and then that transitions maybe down into a bottom where you have full full canopy closure. That transition being directly adjacent to, to one another, I mean, you're just creating a haven for a turkey and a deer and a quail. You know, all the stuff, doves, uh, what, you know, what do you want to shoot? We yeah. don't have it. <laughs> I've heard folks say that, you know, you don't want to do that uh, in like linear areas because a, yeah. a predator could just run down that road and more easily smell something. But on the flip side, uh, if you didn't have that, then you wouldn't even have that habitat at all. Yeah. It would be way worse to not have it at all. Yeah. Correct. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm saying you had a road anyway. So if you have any kind of road, exactly. they're going to run that road. Yeah. You know, but, anyway. Yeah. And it was uh, some of the quail research has demonstrated this really well in agricultural systems where we were looking at field border sizes and they were trying to figure out how big, how wide does the field border need to be. And it, I, I can't recall what, it, what, what the number was exactly. But what we're talking about with daylighting, you're getting wide enough when you know you're tripling the the width of the road that that that's a that's a huge net gain for turkeys even though it's a linear feature you don't want it to be narrow it, the wider the better but the, you know what most people are doing with that is a huge net benefit for turkeys even though yeah sure predators got to eat they're going to eat a couple yep other thing people got to remember too if you leave a 30 foot right away after a cut or something, or if that's what you're, it's going to be a 20 foot right away in just a year or two, and then maybe a 15 yeah. or 10 foot right yeah, away. Yeah. And it's completely canopy over because everything's going to be growing out into the sunlight. Mm-hmm. We fight it all the time. We actually yeah. have just got an old used hydraulic saw 
or bush hog that will lift up and cut up to six, eight foot tall. So we can even travel some of the roads. We didn't do this and weren't smart enough to do this too when we did cut some. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just see where we inherited or we did a wide, wide road wide away like that. I see a difference in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're getting your pines thinned or, you know, whatever thin for that matter, yeah, you, you know, could, you could ask the logging crew to yeah. take out a row on either side of your roads instead mm-hmm. of just thin, you know, yeah. take out every. People always talk bad about clear cuts, but it can be such a dinner bill to all your wildlife if Mm -hmm. you do it right. If you maybe don't take out too big areas, you know, and you do feather and edge and do some things in the process to with that in mind. And, you know, I always say just, I mean, park the pocketbook just a little and maybe spread it over a couple years and checkerboard it, you know. Mm Uh, well, I know what a difference it'll make. And honestly, I think it's yeah. better than not cutting anything. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Sunlight is limiting in those forest systems. And if you're not getting enough to the ground, that, that's a, that's definitely a limiting factor. Another thing that I'm seeing more people do is when you go in and thin a stand, they'll use variable retention. So what that means is instead of you going in and ubiquitously cutting it down to exactly the same basal area everywhere, you'll have patches of high basal area and some patches that may have no trees for an acre, right? right? Where you're trying to target maybe 50 or 60 basal area if you're coming down for turkeys in in a pine stand. We're trying to get it down to a low basal area, but using that variable retention, you'll have some areas that are still full canopy and other areas that are openings and what you've just done is connected all of these things that they need together yeah if if you have someone really good at cutting i would tell them i go from 40 50 to 80 Mm -hmm. and it's like you be the judge and take out all the junk that needs to be taken out but if you need to go down to 40 that's fine if you can if it's really premier looking stuff and you can leave me 80 82 Maybe, you know, basal area. And, and I, I can't even describe what that is, but I know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Give me the diversity and at the same time take out the junk and make my stand more valuable when we get to the big stuff. Mm-hmm. And a good cutter knows exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that, that's some of the best highly productive stuff for a turkey that, and deer. And, we lost yeah. some spots <laughs> to the uh, – Pine beetle? Yeah, but one, one southern pine beetle, that's a bad word. Ips but beetle? Yeah, and then the, mm-hmm. the some of the stuff got credited to Ips beetles that was actually just drought and roots, you know, being destroyed. But there was just patches, and I remember riding through with my buddy Rodney about it. He said, don't worry about it. He walked out, and he looked at the pattern of a beetle and tell you if it's an Ips beetle or a southern pine, and, you know, he's, you don't have any southern pine beetle. First thing he said, don't worry about your timber, and here's a tree here and a tree there, and people freaking out about their tree and their money lost. He said, Guaranteed you'll make it back up in the volume from the trees around it in just a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But he said, don't mess with it because leaving that alone is going to create a little oasis of wildlife stuff all through your place. Forget about it. Be glad mm-hmm. it happened. It's not going to cost you a dime and you'll have a bit. So I didn't even worry about it. You yeah. know? But I hadn't seen Toxie this excited since Mississippi State <laughs> won the World Series. <laughs> well, that's not that long ago, Bobby. <laughs> when was that? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you can just see him light up talking mm. about this oh, stuff. This is his I think yeah. he might be about yeah. making turkeys too. Oh, yeah. for sure, <laughs> for sure. And yeah. I mean, I've seen things that you can validate when you have someone like this here. And so, you know, he's probably being polite not to put me in my place on some of it a little bit. But it's just one thing to to do a quantitative research study which validates or not stuff. But then when you see results or not too. Um, 
you know, I haven't I haven't listened to my own self very well sometimes and not getting some of this done. But I, when you stumble into it, and I just one thing I know when we're we turn these things on, we're affecting a lot of people. So we have the responsibility to a lot of people that are affecting habitat. It's not some kind of selfish, oh, you know, we're in the wildlife business deal. It is our life's calling to affect this in a positive way. So I get excited when we can get things out and a guy could, if I can understand it, I imagine most of them can understand it and take matters into their own hands. And that's when I get excited. So, Marcus, what what is there anything else that uh, that you need to explain to us about this nesting that you think guys can help improve their property? The the kinds of grass that are all over the landscape, you know, they're they're fine for an adult turkey to run around in and strut in when we're looking at them, and and I love to watch them in it. But you know, when we're talking about making turkeys, it, it's not in grass. You know, we we're making turkeys in young vegetate you know uh, cover types that are full of these forbs in particular and that that is just the mindset you need to get in do you want to make turkeys or do you want to see turkeys or do you want to do both there's no reason you can't have some patches of great strutting area i'm not talking about going in and getting rid of all of it i'm just saying you need to have a patchwork of these high productivity areas and it's just not that common you if cannot. they don't get anything out of it other than that, that is something that you can create that will increase productivity. It looks messy. You got to get past that in your head. You know, get a good idea of what you want it to look like from a t- turkey poult production standpoint or turkey nesting production standpoint, and then kind of let that drive the aesthetic for you. And, yes. you know, get that in your head. And that's something that people can accomplish in most circumstances, if you have a little equipment or you're in a place and and can use fire and you, you can use those two things together, a disc and a you know a drip torch can go a long way. And I, I just think that's something that people need to think about. We love grass; it's just innate to to love it. But we, I love you know what I want. I want turkeys to tear the woods down every morning. That's what that's aesthetically pleasing to me. Amen so from the choir. <laughs> if we need to get rid of some grass to do that, then I'm Let's gonna be the first one in there. You know, getting, yeah. Wouldn't you say forb forbs and wildflowers? That's pretty. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing. They are. Yeah. I think wildflowers are pretty. Oh yeah, they are. They're beautiful. Oh my gosh. I've got some examples where I was working with people and they they went in and uh, they qualified for a farm bill practice uh, CP forty two. Which is a pollinator practice. Yeah. Bobby's and, real familiar with that. Yeah. yeah. I've been trying to do that. So uh, they, they put in some of that, and you want to talk about a happy family. Mm. But every time they drive by, it's a beautiful wildflower field, and then there's all kinds of songbirds associated with it, and it's, you know, hens taking poults in it because it's creating that structure that you need. Uh, quail do really well in it, and then you're maintaining it with that recurring disturbance. So, yeah, so like that yeah, they, they, that long driveway going to your cabin that you used to have to mow every other time you go to your farm, you could just yeah. let it come up in forbs or supplement it with right. some wildflower seed and mm-hmm. have something pretty to look at. But Yeah, and it it's as beautiful as it gets. I mean, yeah. it's just a wildflower field. Yeah, that grass yeah. is nothing. That's the, that kind of structure is excellent. It depends, you know, as long as it's the right kind of stuff. But the grass, even when it's tall grass, you know, 
If it's bahia and it's seeded out, that, that's still not good structure. The, the thing in that study that was really telling to me about nest success, one of the most important characteristics wasn't actually horizontal structure. So it wasn't like looking through and whether or not you can see it if you were sitting on your knees, you know, looking at, you know, at a predator's view on the ground. It wasn't actually that. It was overhead cover. And there are lots of things that'll... Like I'm sitting here. Okay. I'm going to use this right thing here. as a punching bag <laughs> if y'all get me excited. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that overhead structure, it protects them from predation, but it also, you know, there's probably some thermoregulatory thing going on. But, you know, you're not going to get that kind of structure without the forbs, is my point, or in the shrubs, you know, when they're first invading. So we're going to, as a follow-up, within the next two weeks, I'm going to put pressure on Dudley to publish something on this topic and some some ways people could affect their place yeah. you know because it's more than just forbs although mm -hmm. that's the thing we hear more and more today i'd like for us to publish whatever how long it takes you i think people we, we've done a lot of that before but you know crystallized by this discussion it's a good time of year for people to think about doing this stuff mm -hmm. and what you know just you know i can't afford to do this or what well, you know do a little at a do a little at a time honestly probably doing a Breaking it up into five years is better than trying to do it all at one time. Yeah, so, you don't, you don't want to do it all at no. once. But you, you're right. I love. I've, yeah. I've, you've heard me on this podcast before talk about the wildflower piece. But we hadn't really planted them as much. There's some there we planted. Mm -hmm. well, but just from a lot of them, you don't need to the burning and the stay off of the bush hog for no other reason than to let them all go to seed again, mm -hmm. and then it creates this again, especially in the prairie soils. Mm -hmm. Golly, that's just crazy. Starting now, but it's Around the first of May, through late June, it's just like going to a, a you know, a garden place mm -hmm. or a, you know, a, a tourist attraction for wildflowers. And I have fallen in love with spending time mm -hmm. doing that because I get it from my mom. She was a wildflower nut all her life too. Yeah, you can come well, by it honestly. So, well, some of, uh, sorry, some of the uh, interesting thing, uh, some of this history stuff that I've been reading through here in the the past couple of months from Bartram and uh, some of the memoirs of Daniel Boone. They're talking about literally turkeys in every tree for hundreds of miles in every direction. Boone went across Kentucky to the river and said that turkeys were never out of sight. They described that as this open landscape and then they, you know, this open forest structure. And they also, a lot of the writings talk about how there were these beautiful meadows of flowers underneath sparse trees and we're talking about a savanna type of structure right. yep. and think you know that's exactly what we're creating is what we've been talking about you've got a whole lot of light getting to the ground and it's not all you know it's not 100 percent light everywhere some places it is but it's mixed in you got patches of trees everywhere and then it's just all these forbs which are wildflowers and it's beautiful and it produces lots of turkeys so we need to do a gamekeeper television show with you and let you take us to a place that's that's that you've been managing that's got this habitat mm -hmm. the way you're describing it, or, so we can show it to people. We could take him to a place that he's going to show them how to do it. 
Bobby, that's yeah, a good yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, kind of, we you know, maybe, the, maybe we, we could find the Ponderosa. No, he's not talking about the Ponderosa. No, I'd be more than happy to. But I think uh, maybe somewhere close to where he grew up. That could be good. Yeah. This spring, late, late April. Yeah. You know. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, Bobby, how about tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I just enjoy seeing, I mean, I can see the twinkle in your eye. You're very passionate about this. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a big part of your life. I mean, mm. you, you live this every day. It is my life, yes. Completely. Well, you know, I, I grew up hunting, loving every minute of being in the outdoors. That was fostered by all of my family, and that drove me, my, my intense curiosity, probably to an extent that's weird to some people, uh, the kinds of stuff that I do in the woods, you know, like I was talking about. But that has driven me all the way to what I'm doing now, where I literally think about this stuff all the time, and I'm trying to think about how can we – you know, what do we need to do to make everything good where turkeys are tearing the woods down or quail or deer, you know, I'm thinking about game. How do we make that happen and then go and measure it and do it on, you know, put the science to it. And then how we get people to do this once we figure that out. It's the nail on the head for what we believe in because I say it again, just what gets me so excited is for to help people have a life of abundance. Mm-hmm. Think about that. So it's exactly what he's talking about now. His particular passion is wildlife and especially turkeys, but mm-hmm. a bunch of wildlife. And he's very, very wise and educated himself and studied and learning. He's trying to give that back. But we're trying to do that, too, together with people like him. And mm-hmm. get, I do get really excited when I feel like we've got a message that can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to get a message out there that's kind of interesting and cool. And, you know, I shot something over. But when you're making a difference, literally – in the stuff that's going to be here when we're gone, even that yeah. gets me excited. I'm I'm really interested to hear about uh, where the the direction this turkey stamp takes us. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a no. that's a neat deal. You're involved in that yeah. in, in a way to help give us mm-hmm. direction once a, once yeah. those funds are, are right. But guys can go on mossyoak.com and learn about this new yeah. turkey stamp. All no, the I proceeds go to one hundred percent. I think that that is a, a critical thing that that we need to be figuring out from every angle. And I'm really proud that you guys are doing that. I think that's a a great thing. We've got to figure out what's going on with turkeys and how we can, you know, change it. We, We want everybody. And, you know, the other thing we always laugh about, you know, not telling each other where the turkeys are and you don't want, you know, you don't want to share this podcast with all your neighbors because then they're going to have turkeys. No, we want all of our neighbors producing turkeys too, right? Absolutely. We need to be sharing this information because if everybody starts doing this stuff, then everybody's making turkeys. And if everybody's I, making turkeys, then everybody has a lot of turkeys. I think the interest is there. It, yeah. you know, Ten no years ago. It. Well, yeah, but, but I mean. People yeah, are thirsty for People this. don't, mm-hmm. including me, you don't. You don't get pushed to do something and protect what you love until you're pushed in a corner mm-hmm. or it's taken away from you. Yeah. You don't I mean, I hate to say that, but now it's being taken away from us and people are really paying yeah. attention. Well, a lot of people have point. heard the woods get tore down and yeah. now they're not. No, it is not. Yeah. Yep. And that that's concerning. And I'm the first one in line with concern. Absolutely. Lane, did you have a question? No, I'm just sitting here reflecting on how much better I understand the concept of early successional habitat now. Um, So it like being able to 
you know, I'm a visual person, but when you're talking, seeing that mm-hmm. in my mind, it helps me understand, you know, what I can do better. Just like what you're saying, when I'm out there working anywhere, there's just things I can do all the time to mm-hmm. help promote that. So, Mac, what about you? you? You got a question? I think we should play a game. Well, all we should. Right. Uh, so, is it game time? Yeah, well, <laughs> so look, here's what we did. We we've cherry picked a question. You're gonna you're gonna answer the question for uh, for one of our listeners. So if you get it okay. right, one of our listeners wins a, a about a three hundred dollar backpack from Duluth Pack. Uh oh. But toxic a bottom land. Toxic yeah, is your lifeline over here. I'm so not, that's pretty safe. Yeah. Well, is, is it related to what yeah. we're talking well, about? It's, it, we think it's something you should know about because the question kind of has to do with Alabama. And uh, where you're from, so mm-hmm. but toxic. If you if you don't embarrass me now, don't you, embarrass me. I'm fun the lifeline. I just want to before you go into this. I, I know a lot about what's going in the woods. Yeah. So I don't know what you're about to come right, at me well, with. You know, you have my permission to say I defer. Call my lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> lifeline. So uh, Mac, have you got the question ready? You want to? I do. Uh, so Doctor Lashley, you are playing for Mac Murray ninety five. And you're you're playing for a round duffel gamekeeper edition Duluth pack. And and the Murray fella gave us a review. That's how we got. To set down. We he did. Play. He gave us a good review, and 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 that's what keeps this thing going. So I mean, you could give us a good review, and you can get entered to win on Apple or Spotify. Exactly. If Marcus gets the question. Yeah. It's, right. it's <laughs> a, but just to be clear, <laughs> I can defer. Yeah, absolutely. Here's your lifeline. Okay. And look, this Duluth pack. If you go to DuluthPack.com and look at the GameKeeper collection, it's unbelievable. And this thing's like, if you bought one, it's like 280 bucks, I think. Really nice. So not a lot of pressure on you, Marcus. Oh, I don't Marcus, feel any. There's only one question. But there, you remember it, when I was talking about my heart <laughs> and my throat? That's right. Me too. Here we go. All right, I'm gonna, here we hey, go. I'm going to get him back for this. I promise. <laughs> the band that made Sweet Home Alabama famous was involved in a tragic plane crash in the late 1970s, killing many of the members in the road crew. Which state did the crash occur? Which state? Mm. Now remember, you've got a lifeline. You can defer. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna keep somebody from a bag. I'll go with a lifeline. I'm not sure. On Do you know state. what band it was? Yeah, Skinner. Okay. Yeah. So. So we're looking at Toxie. No, or you Toxie's gonna, looking at. You're gonna pass it. I'm Dudley. I'm raising Dudley. my hand. Dudley okay. is he can do squirming that. around over there. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna go with. Southwest Mississippi, that down near right. Macomb. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. We got All a bag right. winner. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, it, Mac, is his name McMurray? Is that the guy's name? It's Mac Murray 95. Mac Murray 95. This isn't you, Mac. It is, is not it? me. No, okay, I, no. I, I tried. Make sure he didn't walk in here with a Duluth yeah. pack tomorrow. Yeah. That actually yeah. is my other account. <laughs> 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 Nailed it. Well, Mike Murray, 95, get in touch with us. Uh, or if it's you, get in touch with us. We'll Can I just take it with me now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Duluth fact folks, they're great people. They're, we'll get that sent What do us. I get for knowing the answer? Yeah, well, I don't I'm gonna know. I'm going to give you some Forbes. Yeah. All right, I'll take it. We have been working on a Forbes mix today, actually. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, Marcus, stay comfortable right there. And uh, this we usually do an Ask Dudley. Our audience loves these. Dudley tells us about something. So why don't we knock that out real quick, Dud? All right, Marcus can probably pitch in on this if he knows anything about it. Hey, Dudley, what do you know about May apples? They're popping up everywhere this spring, and they look really cool. 
I hear the fruit is safe to eat, but I'm not so sure I'm willing to try it or not. Have you tried it? Did deer or any other wildlife? <laughs> Did deer or any other wildlife use it? Thanks, Caleb Luke. And uh, Caleb's one of my buddies. Uh, but uh, anyway, Caleb. Uh, yeah, I think May apples are cool too. Um, the scientific name, and Marcus may correct my pronunciation because I'm I'm not Latin. Have you but, heard me talk? <laughs> uh, Podophyllum peltatum. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, when you're in the turkey woods in the spring, you you coming down the, into the bottom of this big old bowl or something down at the bottom of a drainage, and you see these uh, little circular or areas of, of these. Uh, they look like little green umbrellas sticking out of yep. the ground. Yep, mm-hmm. and, flowering uh, right they, now. They almost yep. look alien-like. The and, little flowers uh, in a weird spot. And yeah, all right underneath really cool. the, Yeah, and yep. so it, it's got this little stem, and it you know it's, it's one of the first things to come slowly come out of the ground in the spring. And you'll see the leaves look like they're disturbed, and then this green thing pops up, mm-hmm. uh, and it splits, and it's got two leaves, and they're they're palmate, which means they look kind of like a hand or. a a palm, um, and then in the axle of those two leaves, that, you know, look like an umbrella. Uh, a little white flower appears, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know you come back in the early summer, and there's a little. It looks kind of like a small lemon, and uh, when it's yellow, you can eat it. But uh, I've read that all the other plant parts are are toxic or poisonous. Ooh, stay away from it then. Um, but uh, if we, you, we do not recommend eating any parts of the plant. I've <laughs> read several <laughs> publications uh, from good sources that say if you remove the seeds, you can eat the fruits. Um, and if you want to sprout the seeds, you can plant them right away. If, if you let them dry out, uh, they're more difficult to get going. Are they? Have any particular wildlife benefit? Uh, I've seen and, and I've I've read this to verify that uh, these like long tongued bees like bumblebees will utilize mm-hmm. the flower even though there's no nectar, huh. um, and the plants can pollinate themselves. But it's it's just clonal colonies that come back from uh, this network of rhizomes every year. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I also read and I've seen photos of box turtles eating the fruits, huh. mm-hmm. and they say that that's. Uh, one of the ways that the seeds are spread mm-hmm. and, you know, they go through the box turtle's body and they poop them out somewhere mm-hmm. and, and then the seeds come up. If you get a little bed on in front of you, I happen to know where some were and it's, they can get the right height for a pretty good little turkey blind if you sit plop down by a tree yeah. and they're like two feet, three feet tall and you can just see over the top of them good. And uh, in, in my opinion, they're really good at just hinting that it might be a good turkey area. Because you usually find them uh, mm-hmm. in similar spring habitat that turkeys frequent. You know, it's rich, deep, well-drained, but moist soils, you know, high organic matter. Um, that's just usually down in a bottom Co- or, or in, the, in the bottom of a cove. Coincidentally, this so, morning, I was sitting and I was admiring the flowers on this plant, and then I succeeded just after that there you go um and if you're a forager like myself um this is pretty broad but that's that's a good place to start if you're looking for morels if you see may may apples mm-hmm. popping up uh it's likely to be a decent morel site as well mm. wow mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Mr. Know-it-all. Yeah. Man, Thank you. Always edu- um, educate us. Is there you got more? Well, I, I wrote a I wrote a few <laughs> things down, and I'm a going. Thesis, you wrote a thesis. I'm just yeah. double checking, but yeah, that's about it. Okay. Well, good. Well, Marcus, we really enjoyed having you. Absolutely, yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Guys. Oh my gosh. Really sure. Yes. Please come back. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. What can we do to help you now? Is there anything? Give him another excuse to drive up here next week. Buy yeah. some more of those stamps. Hey, I'm all about excuses. Yeah, buy some more stamps. That's that's helping the turkeys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that's that's what we need. Well, we we certainly appreciate you saying that, and uh, appreciate what you're doing for the for the turkeys and quail, and educating people about disturbance and burning and all that. That you're on a good mission. Yeah, and, I appreciate that. Yeah. So it's it's really good to have you sitting here and and uh, to to. to hear all this come straight out of your mouth. So Toxie's been excited. I know Lanny's got to go. Dudley, we'll stay here and visit with him. But thank you so much. And is there anything else we need to we need to hit? or? or no, we need to get him home before the front gets here. He, we, we're good. I just looked at the radar. We're good. Yeah. Storms are coming. <clears throat> four, four Wednesdays in a row. Yeah, it's pretty it crazy. It really is. So Maybe it'll blow some turkeys in here. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.